Is there such a thing as Canadian celebrity? Can you really make it in Canadian comedy? Can you make it in Canadian showbiz? Is there such a thing as Canadian showbiz? I'm Dean Young, and we're about to go Inside the Joke. Welcome to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. This is Dean Young. Welcome to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we have a very special guest in studio with us tonight. We have comedian, producer, booker, entrepreneur, published author, columnist, and one of the biggest things that's ever happened to a person in Canadian comedy, a recipient of the Order of Canada, the founder of Yuck Yucks Comedy Clubs. We have the one and only Mark Breslin in studio with us one-on-one today on Inside Jokes. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing fine. And, you know, your opening to the show raises an important question right away. (laughs) Yes, yes. Which is, you said the words show business. Yes. Now, those are two words that you'll almost never hear in Canada. You know what you will hear? What? The arts. The arts. Oh, it's all about the arts. And if you pick up the Globe and Mail, our you know august publication, yes, um, on Saturdays, the the column is called the the section is called the arts, and it's all about the arts, and it's all about Stratford, and it's all about the Shaw Festival. Uh, but even television is never called show business. That's so American. But I've always maintained I'm in show business. You are, and 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 you've built. Arguably, there's really only a handful of household brands in in Canadian show business in general, let alone comedy. There really is. Of course, we know Second City, Just for Laughs Festival has been going on, what, 35 years now? And of course, Yuck Yucks. And you guys are, what, 42 years old now? 42 years old. Amazing, isn't it? Right. And that is that is one of the linchpin household names in Canadian comedy. And it's funny that you should touch on the fact that there's no, quote unquote, show business in Canada. There isn't. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's sort of a self-defeatist thing that we don't... We're embarrassed by the idea of show business. We're embarrassed by the idea that it's a considered a kind of low-level uh, enterprise. It's... Uh, there's mob money in it, isn't there? Show yeah. business. Um, in the United States, nobody impa- embarrassingly says, "I'm in show business." They say it in a in a really you know proud way. But we don't do that here. We don't embrace it. Um, we have no ties with the government. Uh, we don't get any government money. Yes. Um, we don't do you know we, we're responsible to nobody except ourselves. We're market driven, and that is considered really really strange in this country. And by the way, so is Second City. Second City's in the yeah. same thing. They don't take money either. Um, I you know I grew up with Mad Magazine, and what I loved about Mad Magazine then and now is that they did not accept advertising. Yeah. And because That's they didn't true. accept advertising, they were completely independent. And similarly, because Yuck Yucks does not accept government money and does not have any significant corporate money, um, we can do and say whatever we think is right and And answer to nobody. And is that part of it? That's why you can have this sort of free filterless... I believe thing, so. This yeah. Platform. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you involve a government, as soon as you involve a big corporation giving you money, you're always worried about that money being taken away. And those kinds of uh, institutions are much more sensitive to controversy. I embrace controversy. I love controversy. I live for controversy. And part of the problem of what I'm doing now, 42 years later, is keeping the comedy business with a level of outlaw quality um, that I've always believed in. Amen, because it has to have that. And by the way, I used to get kicked out of Sunday school for bringing in Mad Magazines. Good for you. Right? I, they'd throw Good me out, you. and I'd have to go sit with my parents again in the in the uh, church. I, I used to bring it to Hebrew school, but the Hebrew school teachers would say, oh, uh, I think I'm cousins with the writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they have all, a difference in the way that... Yeah. Yeah. 
Do you how how crucial is that for you now? Because obviously the the comedy landscape has changed and audiences have changed. Do you still view it the same as you did back in the beginning days, where you have to keep that level of not censoring yourself alive? Yeah, I do, but it's gotten harder to do now because it's harder to be an outlaw in the world of the internet where anything can be said and anything can be done. Listen, when I first started, um, a third of the audience would walk out. A yeah. third of the audience would walk out, and they wouldn't just casually walk out like you'd walk out of a boring movie. You, They would walk out in a huff. They would scream at me. Uh, they would. Uh, I was on stage, and usually they would walk out on me because I was the most extreme of all the comics. And you can check that out if you don't believe <laughs> me, but believe me, it was true. Uh, and I did my act for about 20 years, and then uh, enough was enough, and I my lifestyle changed, and I didn't want to go on stage anymore, at least not every night. So um, a third of the audience would walk out. Now, um, it's the opposite. Nobody ever walks out because everybody knows what they're getting. The audience yeah. has become what we'll call self-selecting. They, if you have very strong social justice feelings, you're not going to go to yuck yucks because you know that it's going to be challenged. You know you're going to hear things you don't want to hear. One of the things I did that I'm proudest of, I started it then and I keep doing it now, is it was comedy where we left in the sex and left in the anger. And if you take a look... That's the stuff that generally never makes it to television. That's true. You always get that squeaky clean, gala-friendly stuff that makes it to air, especially here in Canada. And I want to get back, actually, after the break to some of those early days sure. of stand-up, which is when you I'd like to get out. back to the early days myself. <laughs> the golden age. We'll be right back with more Mark Breslin right here on Inside Jokes, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, this is Simon Rakoff, and you are listening to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto, and we are talking one-on-one with Yuck Yuck's founder and recipient of the Order of Canada, Mark Which Breslin. Is, well, not to brag, but it's kind of historic. They gave it to very few uh, comedians and people in comedy over the years, and they have never given it to somebody involved in the stand-up comedy industry. So my being accepted into the order is really all comics, all stand-ups being accepted into the order in a sense, uh, because for the first time we've gotten that credibility and I'm I'm glad to be part of the shock troops of that. Well, and it comes at a pretty significant time, especially right now, because one debate that's going on and one thing we've talked about a lot on this show over the past year or two is the fact that, you know, the whole thing with the Arts Council not accepting stand-up comedy as a viable art form in Canada, which is absurd to me. I mean, you know this better than most. Look, I can talk about this for a long time, but you're not going to hear what you think I'm going to say. Well, the one thing that's true, though, of Canada is what's our bigger export than comedy? I mean, we've churned out some of the greatest Boxite. comics. What is? Boxite. Boxite or uh, Pornhub. Mm. <laughs> that's Canadian as well. But really, like for a comic and someone in stand-up comedy to receive the Order of Canada, while it's being openly debated, the fact that comedy isn't even necessarily an quote-unquote an art I've form. never heard that, by the way. I think this is a false... Uh, I, I, I would like to know the name of the bureaucrat who said this so I can go over to those, to his house and <laughs> slap him. <laughs> yeah. But I, I've never heard this. Many years ago, I had friends on the Canada Council. I had friends on the uh, Ontario Arts Council. And I kind of set up a trial balloon to say, why aren't we um, eligible for financing? Yeah. Nobody ever said... It's not an art form. What they said was, it's a commercial art form. And because it's a commercial art form, it doesn't have to be subsidized because the market takes care of it. And you were mentioning earlier that that actually, in a way, that benefits you 
not receiving that government funding because then you're untouched in a way. You can do your own thing. Look, if people want money and they think they can get some money out of the government, well, fine. But, you know, my feeling about government grants, well, there's two words that are rarely used in a sentence, one of them, uh, which are government and comedy. Um, And if that doesn't make you queasy, because (laughs) you can't imagine Lenny Bruce applying for a grant, you can't imagine George Carlin applying for a grant, you can't imagine Richard Pryor uh, applying for a grant. I I think that uh, the kind of comedy that might be supported by grants are not to the people who really, really deserve them. Yeah. And who's going and who's going to make those decisions anyway? The same people who probably make the decisions that uh, uh, at Telefilm that produce movies we never want to see. Yeah. Why? What, what do you think is maybe flaw is the wrong word, but what do you think it is about Canadians where we sort of refuse to accept our own until we make it in the States? Because you've carved out a living, you start. You have the biggest chain of comedy clubs well, in Canada, and you know, really the only one. Of I, I was, I got, I also sort of moonlight as a TV producer, and um, I only got the job to executive produce the Ralph Benmergi show on CBC mm-hmm. after I'd already had that credit working for Joan Rivers uh, at Fox in Los Angeles. If I didn't have that American experience, I would have never gotten that job in Canada. And why is it? Oh, I don't know. We have a tremendous inferiority complex, I guess. We do. Um, but I yeah. think a lot of that is starting to change. Um, the good news is that we're becoming a global um, – everyone in the world has a global consciousness now because of the internet. And uh, product is no longer really from some place anymore. It could be from any place and distributed to any place. Uh, I think as time goes on, it's going to matter less and less where you're from and just matter what you're doing. So we almost, in a way, we've almost leapfrogged right over that problem because for years we were trying to figure out, well, how do we get Canadians to pay attention to Canadian content? And you hit the nail on the head right there. Well, now we just skip that step and now it's all about a global audience. Well, yeah. I'm, and Russell Peters kind of proved that, didn't he? He did. Yeah. I mean, he found a whole new audience for Canadian comedy, his Canadian comedy. Yeah. And that audience wasn't simply in Toronto. It was in Jakarta. It was in Sri Lanka. It was in all kinds of places that you wouldn't think it would be in. And he's only the the first of many to come. I think this is the the way it's going. And I think the key to Russell's success especially is being broad. I mean, because you can be such a popular comic in Canada, but also kind of put yourself in a box by being too regional, too Canadian, right? You can go and tour the clubs in Canada. Well, you can... it's, it's interesting, I think, that most of the successful um, television shows, comedy television shows in Canada, from Canada, all have a rural bias. Um, that they Right now uh, include, yeah. Uh, even today with Letterkenny and things like that, yeah. you, uh, you would find it very difficult to get a network to produce something that would be like Curb Your Enthusiasm um, with a kind of wealthy uh, urban group of people um, whining about their lives. Um, my, I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows. But I've gone and asked people at um, Canadian television networks whether they would do anything even vaguely like that and they've all sh- they just shake their heads and say no no that's not for us we know what we can sell hosers that's what yeah. we can sell and i am so far from the hoser i hate hockey <laughs> I <laughs> me don't, too thank I you don't, i don't drink beer yeah no uh, i appreciate you that. know I, I i don't understand um and i never understood what most of those canadian so-called canadian uh reference points are um when i first got into into comedy all the jokes outside of yuck yucks we're about Mounties, beavers, um, rural people, beer, hockey. And 
all the, my friends lived in apartments um, and uh, consumed American television, wore French clothes, and ate Italian food. So what did that have to do with these uh, these different touchstones of supposed Canadian culture, which are decades, if not a hundred years, out of date. It's true, and and we kind of have this middle child complex, especially in comedy, because you know we're right in between the UK and the US, and we're we're growing up next to the biggest playground in the world, showbiz wise. True, right? So that sort of gives us this complex where we can't quite figure ourselves out beyond all those tropes. So I want to get some of your take on what what really is Canadian comedy essentially before everything became global before the sure. internet and all this stuff we'll be back with more Mark Breslin right here on Inside Jokes Global News Radio 640 Toronto Hi, my name is Amanda Day, and you are listening to Inside Jokes on 640. Welcome back to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And if you're just tuning in, first off, shame on you. Where have you been this whole time? Second off, we have in studio the one and only Mark Breslin, founder of Yuck Yucks Comedy Clubs, the biggest club chain in Canada. One of the biggest comedy club chains globally, we're really. The se- we're the second biggest chain in the world. You right really after are. The, after the, uh, the improvs in the States. And we don't trail them by much. And 42 years of this. And also, if people missed it earlier, you received the Order of Canada, too, which... Yeah, and I, I go in to pick that up uh, in Ottawa in a big ceremony in, in a couple of weeks, which, which is great. you know, and we were talking earlier in the show how th- that is a milestone thing for somebody in comedy in Canada, and artists in general, really. Well, and there's something else. On a personal level, I never felt I had the support of any government institution. I've been denounced in Parliament personally twice. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Which uh, itself is... is I a guess good, it's a kind of yeah, uh, yeah, compliment. But um, I, I had to endure a government investigation for four years back in the 90s about my... Uh, supposed uh, abusive dominant position in the marketplace, which I came out clean on. But um, I, I never felt I had that support of the institution of government. So it's a big sea change for me to get this award. No kidding. And I mean, very, very, very few people have, have achieved that. And we were talking earlier in the but show. But I think I'll get a Senate seat next. Yeah? That's my guess. <laughs> Is yeah. that the goal? I guess so. Yeah, I'd love to sit there with a bunch of uh, other older people. and um, <laughs> That's the progression like, of things. I'm a privileged white male. Where else can I go? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Straight to Ottawa. I want to go back, actually. So 42 years ago, yes, you started this thing before Yuck Yucks was the chain that it is today. So you start this little club. It's in a basement here on Church Street in Toronto. And did you know, and I mean, of course, you're a stand-up yourself. That's what you were doing back then. You were a working comic. When you started no, this thing... No, I was not a working comic. Wow. In fact, was no, that why? No, and no one was a working comic. No one had a place to play where they could do what they wanted to do. Uh, we never even thought of making money at this or a career at this. We just wanted to get on stage and perform what we wanted to do. And there was a sea change in the 70s um, of comics moving from kind of um, an older style comedy. And there was no stand-up. The only person ever doing stand-up in this country before Yuck was really uh, Dave Broadfoot. And he was doing stuff that was sort of, um, you know, a lot of stuff about the government and topical humor. But we wanted to do stuff that was really personal. We were baby boomers. And we were the first wave of baby boomers. And baby boomers like nothing more than to talk about themselves. (laughs) Right? And we wanted to talk about ourselves and what we were doing. We wanted to talk about sex. And we wanted to talk about relationships. And we wanted to talk about uh, disease and decay and dismemberment and uh, a lot of sick things and race and 
all the stuff that makes up modern comedy, but it did not make up modern comedy in Canada. Now, in the States, it was different because when I was 17, I would go to my friend's uh, rec rooms and we would listen to records by Lenny Bruce and Mort Saul, and that stuff had already been out there for 10 years. Yeah. But it had not penetrated Toronto yet or Canada yet. Second City had existed. It opened about three years before we did. And we kind of liked, my kind of gang liked Second City, but it did seem kind of safe to us. They never said four-letter words on stage. Yeah. There was a kind of general agreement that you never talked about anything south of the waist. And frankly, we were 22 years old. What do you think we were interested in? Well, sex, yeah. sex, sex, and more sex. And we talked about it, and we... We did it, and we it was it was very rock star consciousness. But we didn't do anything because we thought we were going to become rich and famous. That all came later with Jim Carrey and Howie Mandel, when they broke when they broke through in a huge way in the around 1988 1981. But in um, 1976, it was the basement of a community center. You couldn't imagine a worse venue for comedy. It was a long, narrow room. Um, we had to be out by 10 o'clock. And if we were at 10.01, the custodian of the building would come in, flip on the lights and scream, get out, get out, get out. It's time. So it was a terrible venue. It didn't matter. We were onto something. We didn't realize we were onto something, but we were onto something. So who were you playing to back then? Was it you guys? How did you even come together into that space? It was a group of comics, quote unquote. What happened was this. Um, I have a degree in English literature, right? Um, which means nothing in the job market unless you want to work. It means you can work for any taxi company in, in Canada. Probably. Or start a chain of comedy. Well, clubs. nobody knows that. <laughs> but um, at, So at the time, I got a summer job right after I graduated at Harborfront. I was part of the first team to develop Harborfront, but I wasn't brought on to do the entertainment. I was brought on because I had an interest in urban affairs. And so I was brought on to talk about the site and help develop the, the, the site. And when I was there... Um, they would bring in all kinds of um, rock groups and um, singer-songwriters and uh, comedians, kind of, uh, and they were terrible. They just made lousy choices, and I was very outspoken. I always went out, even when I was in university, I went out every night to a piece of theater or to a concert, something. And so I knew everybody in town. And they would say, what did you think of the, the act we brought in last week? I, ah, they stunk. You want to bring in a good act, here's who you bring in. They go, oh, Okay. He's closer to the marketplace. These were older guys. Yeah. And finally, they said uh, when the summer was over, look, I don't know what you're doing. And I had nothing to do. I did not apply for graduate work. I just didn't want to do that. Um, they said, come work in the office. So I worked in the office. And I was at Harborfront for two crucial years between 74 and 76. And one of the many things that we did was I started a, a comedy night with Don Cullen. And I saw all these new kind of comics comics that were unlike any others I'd ever seen. Personal, uncensored, and I fell in love with them. I started do, hosting some of the shows. And then two years later, they pulled the rug out from under us and fired everybody. And now nobody had a place to play. I was always the kind of designated driver of my set. I mean, I was always the sort of maybe the business guy. You were bringing everyone together. Yeah, I, I just had that role. And everybody said, well, where are we going to play now? So a friend of mine uh, was operating a... Uh, folk night in the basement of the community center every Saturday night. And I called him up and I said, can I, my friends come down and do some co comedy in between the folkies? He said, sure, bring them down. So I brought them down, but it was a disaster because the folkies were all dressed in browns and earth tones and they were <laughs> smelled of patchouli and they were really nice to each other. And then the comics were there and they were wearing shades of black and chain smoking and swearing. It didn't work. But I thought, in the best idea I ever had, I'll go to the board of the community center and I'll see if they have a night where we could do comedy. 
And they said, yes, we got to charge you $38. I still remember the amount. I said, how am I going to afford that? And I thought, oh, I could charge a dollar to get in. The place held about 100 people. And they said, okay. I called up my friends. We started doing it. And then something amazing happened nine weeks in. But you've got to go to commercial. We do. We'll come back with more of the origin story of Yuck Yucks with Mark Breslin in studio right here. Inside Jokes, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. This is Ali Hassan, and you're listening to Inside Jokes on 640. Welcome back to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto, brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Hakeem Optical. And we are in studio with Mark Breslin, the founder of Yuck Yucks Comedy Clubs and recipient of the Order of Canada. No small tip of the hat there, right? Mm, yeah. And we were, if you're coming back from the break, we were talking about sort of the origin stories of Yuck Yucks. So it's 1976. You're throwing together this group of ragtag, can you even call them comics at this point? They were pretty funny. Right? They were pretty funny out of the gate. Um, And the only other place you could do comedy was a place on Young Street that had uh, white tablecloths and waiters in tuxedos. And anytime you said anything even vaguely controversial, the manager would come up to you and say, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. So because I came from a kind of uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll 60s environment and I loved punk rock, um, I wanted to do in comedy what punk rock was doing in in music. So I let anything go. And my own act, as I say, was the most um, transgressive of them all. So I sort of set the tone for everybody of freedom. Freedom was really important. Freedom still is really important. It is. Anyway, um, so uh, we the place held about 100 people, and every Wednesday night we were getting maybe 30 people, 40 people coming in. It was fun. But nine weeks into it, I got a call from a guy from the Globe and Mail. Uh, Jack Capizza was his name. Uh, and he said, look, I, um, I hear you're doing something interesting down there on Wednesday nights. Can I come down and take a look and maybe write something? I said, sure. So he came down the next Wednesday. I saw him there writing in his little book and everything. And he said, okay, I think I can get something in on Saturday. I said, oh, that's great. So what did I expect? I expect a little blurb. Well, on Saturday morning, I woke up and I had one of the first answering machines in the, in the city because um, I always love new technology. And usually I'd have two or three messages waiting for me. But it said 42 were flashing. And everyone went, Mark, pick up the globe. Mark, you got to pick up the globe. Mark, pick up the globe. So I ran out. I picked up the globe. And there was a two-page spread in the entertainment section uh, on Yuck Yucks and how it was the most um, uh, radical vision of comedy ever seen in the country. And it was just completely glowing about the place, the people in it, the comics, everything. The next Wednesday, I went down to uh, the community center before the show was about to start, about an hour before, as I usually do, and there were 922 people lined up to get in. Wow. And it had never And it never stopped after that. And then, um, not too much longer after that, I had a friend come in uh, from high school who was a business whiz. He was studying uh, at uh, Stanford, and he said, what are you doing? And I told him, and he sa- I said, come on down. So we saw it. And I said, what did you think? He said, well, the comedy's not really for me. He said, but you have a business here. I said, I do? I didn't know. And he said, let me set you up. And he set up a corporation. He raised money for me. And we opened up in 1978 in the, uh, at Bay in Yorkville, um, which is like going into the belly of the beast at the time. And it was incredibly successful right from the get-go. Uh, but we didn't have a liquor license for the first two years. You know, Not many people realize that. Which is interesting. And you were talking earlier about how you first did the first handful of shows down there during folk nights. And folk houses were notorious for that. It was always basket houses and coffee houses where they didn't have alcohol on the premises. That didn't hurt you? Well, I was never a drinker, so I personally never identified with 
um, alcohol as being necessary for comedy. Um, later on, two years later, I realized I better get a liquor license or somebody else is going to get one and put me out of business. Right. Um, so there was that. But we also wanted to open up as fast as possible. And if we wanted to have a liquor license, especially in those days, um, you would have had to wait another year um, to go through all the hoops that you had to go through to get a liquor license in yeah. the city. We just opened. And it didn't matter. So many of our audience at that point was underage. We had an awful lot of audience between 16 and 18, for instance. Yeah. Um, the hip kids. Like they were smart, hip kids. Because so, you're tapping into something that they don't get to see or hear anywhere that's right. else, right? That's right. That's right. So for you, and I mean, you stayed, you were a gigging comedian for two decades after that, really. I mean, what was the turning point for you when you realized this is going to blow up? This well, is going to be a thing. 78 led to 79. 79 led to 80. We were still in business. We were still selling out. We opened up in Montreal uh, in 1981. It was a complete disaster. Didn't work at all. Um, so we closed it down, nearly bankrupted the company. Uh, and then in 1984, we opened up in Ottawa, and it was a smash, yeah. a smash success. Uh, we had enough comics to be able to send to Ottawa that were really great, including the great Mike McDonald. Um, and uh, after that, then we thought, well, let's see what else. There was a guy who had a club in Hamilton, so we made a deal with him to take him over. And now we had three clubs, and then we opened up in Niagara Falls. That made number four. And then we opened up in Edmonton because there was a guy who had a club in Edmonton, but he was struggling. We thought with our branding and our talent, uh, we could possibly make it work there. And that was a smash. And when we opened up in Edmonton, which was so far away from Toronto, and it was a success, we knew we had something. So somewhere around 1985, I started to take my own business seriously. And I stopped, uh, you know, I got a bank account, stopped paying people out of a shoebox. <laughs> yeah, well, that's when you knew you could go coast to coast, right? That's when we knew we could go coast to coast. And it's interesting, you talk, touched on the the Ottawa Club, and I want to get into this a bit more after the break, because Ottawa is such a notorious comedy factory. Yeah. Some of the greatest of the, Mike McDonald included, have come out of that city and have come off of the Yuck Yuck stage in yes, Ottawa. Yes. And I want to touch on some of the people and, and maybe some landmark sets that you've seen. Sure. And, how, how much you can spot people who you thought were going to make it and then did. So we'll come back with more of the origin story of Yuck Yucks with Mark Breslin right here on Inside Jokes, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hello, I'm Bree Watson and you're listening to Inside Jokes on 640. Welcome back to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we are talking to the one and only Mark Breslin, founder of Yuck Yucks Comedy Club, biggest club chain in Canada. And one of the biggest in the world. We mm. established that earlier. Yes. We already knew this. Our listeners should know this. Recipient of the Order of Canada. Why we... don't you ask me why I got the Order of Canada? Well, okay. That's well, that's the interesting thing, actually, because, you know, we were talking a couple of times during the show about how you are one of a very few select people in Canadian comedy and in show business in general. So what Dean, was the impetus of this? Dean. Was it a heritage thing that you created? I really believe it's because... Over the past 42 years, I have put $80 million in the hands of Canadian comedians. And nobody, nobody can touch that. So when anyone criticizes me, my company, the way we do business, I just throw that at them and that shuts them up. Well, and you know what's the interesting thing, Mark? And I did want to touch on this today. And I mean, you know this, of course. This happens all the time. In Toronto especially, because Toronto is the big comedy hub and comics flood in from cities across the country and... So the same people who will often throw barbs at yuck yucks and yourself and, and hiring practices and all that stuff, 
the second they get signed, that goes away immediately. Yeah, because they want to be part of what we've what we've got. I mean, we've got an agency that's vertically integrated into our club system, which means I can make somebody a bad living. Yeah. Um, now you might say, but that's a bad living. I say, yes, I know. But um, I wish there were more markets in this country so that you could make people a good living. I, I'm under no illusion that Yakex is the end point for comics. It's a good thing to start with. If you're still driving to Belleville at 55 to make $400, there's something wrong. That's You, you have not succeeded. Yeah. And I really like what Malcolm Gladwell, you know, the social um, writer, yeah. um, has said about the arts or about show business. He said, um, show business is not a job. It's not a career. It's a tournament. It's a tournament. It's a tournament, which means... Only a fraction of the people who enter it are expected to make it, and everyone else fails. You've got a very, very sad uh, business model where 1% of the practitioners make 99% of the income. That certainly wouldn't be true in law or medicine or teaching or radio. Um, It's a really top-heavy thing, and that will never change. That will never change. No one will change it, and no one should change it because it's the only way to look for the incredible quality that you're really looking for. Well, and I think anybody who gets into stand-up as an art form in general, and especially here in Canada with what our market is, you know, looking to make make it big and make make big money. I mean, they're a fool to begin with, you know. I, There's room for five or six people to make it really big. So Jerry yeah. D has a has a, a great show on CBC and you say to CBC, "Well, you've got one successful sitcom. Let's do another." And they go, "Well, we've already got one." Yeah. So yeah. there's not room for an awful lot. You could count the Canadian comedy millionaires on the fingers of a shop teacher's hand. Um, <laughs> whereas if you go to the United States, there's tons of people making really amazing amounts of money, and you don't even know who these people are necessarily. All these people who write for The Tonight Show, all these people who uh, write sitcoms, they're all living in mansions, and you don't even know who they are, let alone the people who you do know who they are. This is part of the problem of the ecology of this business, and it's very frustrating for me. The problem is not at the club level. The club, the people working in the clubs are getting paid top dollar for what people make in clubs. But the problem is between the clubs and the next level, which is uh, the mediascape, yeah. there just isn't enough work in the mediascape to make these people f- famous so that they can raise their price in the clubs. Because I can tell you that there's almost nobody in Canada who can sell tickets in a club. There's almost no Canadian. The very best people. Mike Wilmot, the very best, doesn't draw people. No, Rob not Pugh. here at home. Rob yeah. Pugh doesn't draw people. I could I could go on and list all the names. Yep. Um, Nikki Payne draws some people, which is great, but it's so few and far between. But if those people did lived in another environment, another show business environment, another show business culture in another country, in England or in the United States, they'd be working in shows that would give them the visibility that would allow them to say, hey, pay me more because you know there's going to be more people and you can charge more for me. That doesn't exist here. So if you want to make changes to the Canadian comedy world, that's where you go. That's where you start. Not at the club level. That's true. And Mike Wilmot is such a perfect example, actually, because, I mean, he divides his time between here and then he's in the UK the rest of the time. He's in Australia the rest of the time because he can pull in a theater audience there. That's right. Here at home, he's beloved by other comics. Yes. And isn't that what And they don't have? pay the cover charge. They don't pay the cover charge. And I think that's what we have in Canada is we have an entire industry of comedians, comedians. Well, it's getting know? worse, too. Do I have a moment to talk about that? Absolutely, yeah. Well, you know the, the economist Thomas Malthus? Have you ever heard of him? No, no. Uh, 
an economist from the 18th century, and he developed what he called the Malthusian curve. And the Malthusian curve was a, uh, a double curve where uh, resources um, increase arithmetically, but population increases geometrically. And at a certain point, the gap becomes so great that starvation um, will ensue. And the only reason that this didn't come completely true is because of birth control, which he never could have seen. Well, we have a similar problem in the Canadian comedy business now because everybody wants to be a comic. It's not like when I first started out or even 10 years ago. Um, now it's become kind of like it was in the 80s when every single person you knew had a script in their uh, on their desk yeah. and thought they were going to sell it and become a big screenwriter. Well, now everybody thinks they're good. everybody's got 10 minutes. There must be a thousand comics in in Toronto alone or wannabe comics or would-be comics. Yep. Some of them are pretty good or could get better, but they won't and they will never make a living because the amount of opportunities for them are only growing at a very slow and uh, slow rate, whereas the number of comics are growing at a huge rate. So you're going to wind up with a nation of hobbyists. And that, especially right now, uh, like that's a bubble that needs to burst in a way because it's it's sort of well. I'd rather have people ever. have that as a hobby than say golf, which costs you a lot of money. At least with comedy, maybe once in a while you make twenty dollars. Well, maybe that you know there was this Mark Twain quote where he said, "As soon as you pay a person to do what they love, it becomes work, and they don't love it anymore." Right. Um, I think Hopefully all those people true. would. I think all those people would love to work, and um, <laughs> I can't blame them. And I don't want to advocate having fewer comics, but it's just that it's not going to be like it was. That's why Yuck Yucks is so valuable, because at least when you get into Yuck Yucks, it's not like you're guaranteed an income, but you have first dibs on just about every gig in the country. You're working, and you're on a roster, and you have that brand in brackets beside your name, That's which right. I think comics understand how valuable That's that is. Right. Everybody right. knows that, and I'm proud of that. Right. We'll be right back with more Mark Breslin and more Yuck Yucks origin stories right here on Inside Jokes, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, this is Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway? And you are listening to Inside Jokes, Pants Optional. Welcome back to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we're in studio with Mark Breslin, Order of Canada recipient. By the way, is there a, is there a title for that? Is it I like get a knighthood? To put, I get, no, uh, no. I get to put CM after my name. CM, okay. And very few. Well, it should be MC, but then people would just think <laughs> I'm a rapper. <laughs> or you're back to hosting. That's right, or I'm back to hosting. Back I've to been hosting. demoted. And one thing I wanted to touch on, and we were, of course, talking during the show about some of the origins of Yuck Yucks and some of the comics you've seen over the years. And we mentioned Ottawa earlier. Yes. And that was, what, your second club that opened up outside of Toronto? Correct. And Ottawa is such a notorious comedy factory. Some of the greatest of the greats have come through there. We've had Norm MacDonald, Mike MacDonald, just anybody named MacDonald, I guess. Yes, that's right. Has, Crazy has MacDonald. Yeah, they've all passed through Ottawa. For you, I mean, 42 years in, and some of our biggest comics, of course, cut their teeth on the Yuck Yuck stage or at least have passed across it multiple times. Do you remember any of those sets where you were kind of in the back of the room going, okay, this is something, this person is going to blow up? No. No, <laughs> um, no, because I can't judge on one th one set. Um, and besides, I mean, and true, besides yeah. which, um, just because you're doing really well in a nightclub doesn't mean you're going to become rich and famous and a big star. And my own tastes may be different from the general public. For instance, I admit uh, that I never quite got Jim Carrey uh, yeah. in the beginning. I didn't understand. It felt like a like a, a fairground act to me, uh, something you do at a county fair. And I thought Mike McDonald was the genius, um, and he never really made it. And it doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't think there is a more sort of true blue stand-up comic maybe that's ever come out of Canada as much as Mike McDonald. 
I yeah. mean, he just lived and breathed stand-up. He was the art But, form. you know, he didn't look good on TV or in film. And he tried, and he did yeah. get roles, but he looked waxy, and it didn't. It just didn't work he's for him. He's a road dog. That's he's what a, he was. He's a yeah. road dog. He's somebody you've got to see live yeah. um, for, for you to really appreciate. And he used to do four-hour sets. Um, and then he would come back the next day in his feature and do a different four hours. He was incredibly prolific, which leads to this. Um, if you're asking me what I'm looking for and if I do have – if there is any hint that somebody's going to become successful in this yeah. business, it's the writing. It's not the performing because you can take a writer and somehow make them into a, a good performer. Even right. if they're not naturally good at it, simply the repetition will make them will make them good. But if you're a good performer, that doesn't mean you can ever learn to be a good writer. You kind of have that. It's something you, you see things funny you. or you don't see things funny. And this is especially true now. I think a whole new generation of millennials are respecting the writing uh, when it comes to comedy because um, a lot of the presentation of sort of well-known millennial comics is kind of lacking. They don't have a lot of stagecraft, but they have a lot of writing craft. And I've had this argument for years with people. You can't writing is an inherent talent that you can't necessarily teach. It's just you have it or you don't. Well, you know, you can hum- give someone confidence. Humber School of skills. Comedy, which I started, which is, you know, also another amazing institution I think in this country and another yep. reason I supposedly won this award. Um uh, uh it focuses on the writing first. The, they understand that the, how important the writing is and, in fact, kind of came out of the writing program uh, at Humber. So, um, you know, you can have all the bells and whistles and uh, you can have all the histrionics and stagecraft, but if you can't write a funny joke, it won't matter in the end because as soon as you put yourself on television or even streaming, people will see for themselves that the writing just isn't there. And I think audiences are savvy to that. And I think that's one thing that gets lost right now with a lot of new comics, which is the audience is smarter than you think. That yes, fat will absolutely. fall off the bone. But we, all, we always believed that. We always told the comics the audience is as smart as you are. Yeah. Maybe smarter, maybe not, but they're smart. And you have to approach them as if they're smart. You really do. And I think we and, and, and I think Yuck Yucks is very good at this practice even now with everything that's happening in comedy and the comedy culture right now, which is you don't police yourselves for the audience. When people walk through those doors, they should expect a stand up comedy show. We never, ever, ever tell comics you can't do that joke. Yeah. You can't handle that topic. If somebody came up to me and watched a comic and said, you know, uh, your comic talked a lot about abortion. I'm very much against abortion. I'm offended that you would have that. I would say Here's some tickets to another show. Yeah. Maybe you won't see him. Uh, but I would never say to the comic, oh, you shouldn't do that. Never have I done that, not once. And I think that's that's a huge part of why Yuck Yucks has kept but, going for 42 but years. It, but it does open me up to criticisms that there could be racist or sexist talk on my stage. And I admit that there can be. Yep. And you're always going to be open to that anyways, you know? It's um, part of the business. It's part of the business, and, you know, I know that there are no people that get into comedy out of a spirit of hatred. Yeah. Um, they just It just doesn't attract people who want to hate on stage, but they're trying to do something which is trying to make comments about these things. 
However, I also have to say I'm, I don't like it when comics get more applause than laughs because they're saying what the, com- what the audience already believes. Yeah. Racism, that's wrong, right? And everybody applauds, and it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> and there's a lot I'd of that I'd rather right see now. somebody say, I like racism, yeah. and then everybody go, what? What do you mean by that? Well, it is, it's important to remind people there is a difference between doing a stand-up set and giving a TED Talk, mm. you know, and people forget that right now. And there is some TED Talk out there. There, there is. All right, Mark Breslin, thank you so much. And I, we have some new clubs opening up. Yes, we do. Um, we have Burlington, Oshawa, and I think Kingston all opening up just after New Year's. Perfect. So that'll bring us up to what, 17 yuck 17 yuck yeah. And they come and go. Sometimes they're like oil wells. They gush <laughs> and they stop gushing yeah. or they gush forever or they never gush at all. So, you know, we close one, we open two. That happens all the time. It's comedy whack-a-mole. Right. Mark Breslin, Order of Canada recipient, Yuck Yucks founder. Hit up yuckyucks.com. And uh, wh- where else should people go to check out all of the things you've done? Oh, we have a website, and it's yeah. pretty good. That's it? Yeah. That's everything? Yeah, we're on YouTube and Facebook and you know Instagram and all the rest of it. All the stuff, all the socials. Thank yeah. you so much, Mark, for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And this week's episode of Inside Jokes is dedicated to our dear friend, Franca Kazupe, who lost her battle with cancer this week. Uh, she was a good friend of the show, a great friend to our own Sandra Carusi, and for a long time joined us here in studio every week. Uh, and brought some love and light into the studio during some of our more difficult days. So from all of us here at the Inside Jokes family, uh, we love you, Franca, and this one's for you. This has been Inside Jokes, and keep it tuned right here to Global News Radio 640 Toronto for the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta. (laughs) 